Welcome one and all to Doss and D's show and today we're dropping a truly fascinating podcast with Todd Pierce. Todd is a Chief Growth Officer at Black Tie Digital, a company that is revolutionary in transforming the real estate market, finance industry and business world through the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency. And if you're not familiar with crypto and blockchain, Todd breaks it down in simple to understand language as well as explaining the urge we all need to learn about it. But this conversation goes down many different directions and Todd fills us in on where he sees the future going. And quite honestly, this could be the way forward for this generation to get involved in the property market. We talked about some key world events which have led to today's monetary system and some predictions of what the next 5-10 to years may look like. We went down some interesting roads that we don't usually go down on this show, like global politics, history, capitalism, banking and government control, which definitely offered some unique viewpoints. Todd also shared the importance of learning to learn and told a powerful story about finding himself in jail as a teenager and how shifting his mindset out of victimhood changed his life rapidly and so much more. Now guys, if you're new to this show and enjoyed today's episode, I want to recommend just a few other episodes with similar topics. Episode 96 with Tom Bishop talking all things future, episode 60 with Louise Bedford chatting day trading and investing, and episode 86 with Peter Ziggy on money management. But before you get to them, sit back and enjoy this awesome chat with the wonderful Todd Pierce. Welcome to the Doss and D Show. Smashing societal pressure and unlocking your secret ambition. Now Doss, are you ready for our next interview? D, I'm ready. Now let's go balls deep. Alright Doss, you ready to talk about crypto? Mate, it's not my forte, but that's why we've got this man here with us. Absolutely. Todd Pierce, welcome to the Doss and D Show. Thank you so much for having us guys. Oh, mate, we're, we're wrapped to have you. We can't wait to dive into this chat, but I suppose the best way to start, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and what you're currently doing. Cool. So uh, for those watching and listening, my name is Todd Pierce. I'm the uh, head of growth for a company called Black Tide Digital. We effectively work in the blockchain space, really looking at legacy sectors and industries and identifying where there could be a use case for, for blockchain tech and seeing how we can apply that. Currently, we're, we're doing a bit of work in the real estate sector uh, with some pretty cool stuff there, kind of cutting edge. And yeah, man, that's that's what I'm doing at the moment. And it's really exciting because, you know, lots of things are going to change over the next five years. And I think technology plays a uh, paramount factor in the changes that are happening, right, from AI through to robotics, through to blockchain technology. And I think, you know, it's one of those things that if you don't make yourself aware of what's coming, that's typically when you're going to find yourself on, on your ass and kind of thinking, what the, what the damn hell just happened? So well, for that person, this is probably a great starting point, is what is blockchain technology essentially? Yeah, cool. So look, look, most people have probably heard about this thing called the Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is a, a currency that's built on blockchain technology, right? So most people have heard of, of cryptos. So cryptos are effectively tokens that exist on a blockchain form of technology, right? So the best metaphor or analogy you could give it is like, you know, blockchain tech is the fuel that goes into the car. And, you know, that's what's making the whole thing run. So you build on top of blockchain technology, various applications, right? So you can have uh, an application such as supply chain kind of things, right? That track supply chain, currencies, tokens, things that you use to obviously purchase stuff, right? So Bitcoin, if you look at its use case, right? It's a, a form of currency to spend. So the, the blockchain tech, and you need to separate it, right? It's the stuff that's underneath it. It's the technology that drives whatever you build on top of your, your blockchain. 
Cool. So tell us a little bit about how you got into it, because I want to, I know you've got a background in doing multiple different things. So I'm interested in what pulled you to really work in this space and why you see it as such an exciting prospect. Yeah, cool. So look, my background, I've been involved in, in sales and marketing uh, for, for quite some time now. I've done sales and marketing, leadership development, public speaking, venture capital raising. And, you know, around the 2015, 2016 mark, I got involved, I guess I became quite entrepreneurial right back then, getting involved in like the startup scene and, you know, all the, the proxy stuff that's around that, right? Like, you know, the, the pitch nights, the, the innovative technologies, like all this cool stuff. And um, I got quite obsessed with it, all right? And my business partner back in 2015, we had a software company together. If you think about Bitcoin maximalism, and for those that don't know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin maxis are kind of like the ones that believe that, you know, Bitcoin is like the one and only, is the thing. And you're looking at my shirt, probably thinking, gee, Todd must be a bit of a maxi <laughs> on a spectrum of like zero to a hundred. I'm probably like 80% maxi. I've got like a small margin for, for altcoins. My old business partner, he's like, you know, the epitome of maxi, right? He's like the maxi of maxis. Anyway, he kind of got me, uh, he introduced me to Bitcoin back in 2015, 16. You know, you have that friend that says, Hey, you should buy this thing called Bitcoin. Right. And see back when I first looked at it, 2015, 16, Bitcoin was sitting around 900 bucks per, per token, right? So per coin. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, ah, maybe, but then I didn't. It wasn't that I didn't like appreciate the technology. It's just that I had other things that I wanted to buy, right? Other stupid shit. Um, and, you know, it just kind of fell by the wayside. But that was like my introduction into crypto, into specifically Bitcoin. It kind of fell by the wayside for a while because I had my sales and marketing businesses. And like effectively what I was doing is I was providing like an outsource sales service. So if you had a product or a service that you wanted to sell and you weren't getting the volume that you wanted, you could hire me. I had people that would work effectively as outsource sales staff and I'd produce sales for you, right? So we did, you know, work with financial services. We did solar. We did work in education. So, you know, I did that for quite a while leading up to around 2020. And it was in 2020 that I was kind of thrust back or had you know, blockchain and crypto thrust back into my life. So I'd, I, I kind of played with it from like 2018 onwards. But then 2020, I had a friend get involved in a crypto project. And that's what kind of thrust me back into it. And that's actually how I found myself working with Black Tire. Like you follow the, the path all the way down the road. And, you know, the thing that, you know, interested me with, with Black Tire was really how can we take this cool tech because you know i'm that kind of person that I, I like to make things better i like to grow and improve and i'm constantly looking at how you can tinker with things to improve it right i specifically like the idea when, when you think about real estate right so like you know blockchain is going to change a lot of things in the future and you know one area that i specifically see some some cool transformations happening is the real estate space mm. so like when i when i started working with black tie and i i, I learned about the interest in real estate because see black tie is owned by a company called pim and pim have been doing commercial and residential real estate for 30 years so that's a, a long time right the last four years alone we've been brokering about just under a billion dollars worth of transactions per year for the last three to four years we've done alternative lending for the last 20 years and um, we've got a lot of background there so it's a lot, a lot of experience in our in our parent company so kind of came into black tie and i i learned about how we're looking to bring blockchain tech and, and crypto and I guess facilitate a bridge between real estate and this new age technology, it really excited me because if you look at something that is, you know, quite archaic, like real estate, right, that hasn't necessarily had 
very many innovations over the last, you know, 20 years. What, what blockchain really allows to happen there is some really cool stuff, right? I mean, like at the moment, there's a lot of middlemen that kind of stand in between me and that property, right? And this is one thing that I particularly love about Bitcoin. Bitcoin allows me to send you. So if I'm going to send you, Dan, one Bitcoin, I'm not going to send you one Bitcoin. That'd be ridiculous. Man. Like, <laughs> you can if you want, Todd. Go for it. Don't forget about me, again. okay? <laughs> <laughs> Let's say, for example, I you know, and Bitcoin's broken down into sats. Sats are like the the cents, right, of Bitcoin. But I, let's say I send you a thousand sats. You know, there's nobody that can stop me doing that, right? Like that's the appeal of Bitcoin. It's that libertarian idea. It's that sovereignty. It's that no third party has a control over me, my finances, and what I want to do. Like you know, we've seen this. No matter what your point of view is with the Russia Ukraine schmuzzle that's happening right now you know one thing that i wrote a big article on it on linkedin talking about you know are we going to go back to the gold standard is something new going to pop up um, in response to russia and ukraine because what the governments of the world did and this i think is a very negative precedent and the problem with precedence is typically a precedent leads to another precedent right so what happened was is that the governments of the world basically band together and said you know what we need to put these sanctions and we need you put blocks in place to stop to cripple Russia, right? Now, if we remove politics and ideology and, you know, perceptions of right and wrong from the equation and just look at what happened, is they removed a sovereign nation from the SWIFT payment network, right? Effectively stopping Russia from accessing and using funds. Yes. Now, this is massive, right? If they're prepared to do that to a country now, you know, what is to stop them from doing it to a regular law-abiding citizen that at some point in the future, at some time that is not right now, what is to stop them if you break some unknown law that is yet to become law and they just, boom, block your accounts, boom, stop your spending? So, like, there's all these somewhat authoritarianistic, totalitarianistic forces out there. You know, they, they say power, absolute power, absolutely corrupts. And there's always people in the world that are, are drawn towards power. They think that they know better than you know how to run your life, right? And they're happy to basically take your freedom from you to make you do what they perceive as right. So I feel like Bitcoin is the, the light out in the dark, right? It's that beacon of hope. It's that economic freedom. It's that thing that allows you to control and have 100% ownership of the most important thing in, in, in the world, right? Which is your ability to exchange value. And that's effectively what you're doing with blockchain, right? Blockchain is storing data and exchanging value. Bitcoin is like the future of money and the ultimate transfer of value. And nobody can stop you from sending it from me to you. No one can stop that. And that's a bit of a rant, but it's it's the, one of the reasons why I love it, right? Nobody can stop me sending you something. No one can stop these transactions occurring. It's fast. It's easy. It's the best form of money that's ever been created to date. That's my rant done. <laughs> uh, we absolutely love it. And I'm super, super fascinated about the property side <clears throat> of things. So are you basically saying, you know, we could just rock up to a house, it's on the market and we could pay for it ourselves rather than for one, there wouldn't be a real estate agent. And then two, we don't have to probably go to a bank. Is that what you're kind of saying? Okay. So this, this is where it becomes somewhat opaque, right? Or it becomes, it's layered. So, you can look at the application of technology 
and go, okay, this is what it could do. And just because it could do something doesn't mean that's immediately possible. So let me explain what I mean. So if you take a look at real estate in America, they've got a very different system to Australia. So in Australia, you effectively have to submit various forms and stuff with governments, agents are involved, there's brokers involved. There's all these different parties that are involved to make the transaction be you know, verified and successful, yeah? Now, alternatively, in America, literally, all you do is you get this title of a deed, right? A deed that you take down to a, a registration office, you submit this deed, effectively, boom, you're the quote-unquote owner of the property. So what you've got in America, and this is each country is different in regards to how they do things. But in America, there's a big problem with deed fraud. So effectively, what people are doing is they fraudulently create these these deeds, they take them down to the registration office, they get it registered, they take that to a bank, they then loan against this fake deed, and the whole thing's a massive scam, right? It's, 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 It's a big Ponzi, right? So that's interesting in America. So in America, there's a direct application where you can effectively take a property right? And you can represent that property on a layer of blockchain, right? Maybe you represent that property as an NFT. NFT is called a non-fungible token. So non-fungible means that there's just one of them, yeah? So it's all about 100% ownership of some sort of asset. Bitcoin, on the other hand, is what's called a fungible token because one Bitcoin is the same as another Bitcoin and one SAT's the same as another SAT. So it's fungible, it's exchangeable, they're the same. But anyway, so in America, right? So there's this issue with fraudulent deeds. Blockchain can fix that very quickly because if you effectively take that asset and you put it on chain, it's an immutable, unchangeable record, right? You know, let's say, for example, I've got the deed right now. That deed has all the historical data about this property, shows me, Todd Pierce, as the current owner on this, you know, NFT, it could also have some data on there saying all the different home improvements that I've done, the prices, everything, right? Now, if I send that token from me to you, and then at the same time, you've got some sort of data goes to the appropriate, you know, registration bodies, regulatory bodies, effectively, boom, you just cut all the minimum out of the picture. And because you can't recreate that that token, right? If it's an NFT, there's one. So you're not going to get people fraudulently creating deeds. That's one massive Mm -hmm. transformation that can happen if you take the property, right? And effectively, you tokenize it. Now, that is, I guess, a lot easier. I foresee it being a lot easier in America than it is over here in Australia because we've got different rules, regulations, and kind of bullshit that kind of stands in the way. So in Australia, I see it being a lot more complicated. So I think the most immediate applications that we will start to see with crypto and blockchain and real estate is, is first and foremost, more and more people starting to use their crypto or their Bitcoin to effectively purchase property, right? It's about diversifying your, your asset portfolio. Um, not just that, getting into a home, right? You know, 90% of millennials think that they're never going to be able to afford a home. 86% of Gen Xers think they won't be able to afford a home and, and 64% of baby boomers think that they won't be able to afford a home. So affordability is a big thing. And a recent study done by, I can't recall who it was, I think it was YouGov and I think it was um, commissioned by BTC Markets. But um, anyway, I can't recall who it was. But anyway, they, they sur- surveyed a, a whole heap of people. And what they found from the batch of people that they surveyed is that one in five Australians see cryptocurrency investments as the only way to secure the funds fast enough to be able to purchase a home. 
And the reason why there's such a discrepancy is because if you go back to 1980, right, here in Australia, the average income was about 15800 and the median house price was sitting around the $40,000 mark. Now, that was reasonable. It's roughly a, a 2.5 times difference in prices, right? So my wage had a 2.5% increase to, to purchase a property. So it's 2.5 2. times. Now, in 2022, if you take out the excessively high income earners, right? I mean, the, the multi-million per year kind of earners, and you've just got the average person that earns an ad- average income, what you'll see in Australia is in 2022, the median income is 62842 from memory, yeah? And um, the average house price is now sitting, the median house price, right? If you look at Australia-wide, is about 700,000. So that's 11.3 times difference, right? It's, it's, it's massive. So prices have not grown equally with income. And if you combine that with all the other costs of living increasing, you know, with inflation, the value of our dollar decreasing because of poor fiscal and monetary government policies over the last three years, like, you know, it's a recipe for absolute disaster. So yeah. that's mm. the next immediate place I see crypto and blockchain coming into place. Number one, you'll see people doing transactions with crypto. Uh, that's where our Be For Real platform steps in. We basically help that transaction be easy because it can be quite technical. Real estate agents, they don't want to learn it. They've already got enough on their plate. The buyer, it's it's quite tedious. We had a chat with this guy down in Sydney, right? He just bought a home uh, with his Bitcoin. And he said it was an absolute nightmare dealing with the real estate agent, dealing with the banks. Like he goes, mate, where was your platform like six months ago when I bought my home? Yeah. <laughs> because it was just a pain in the ass for him as a buyer. So we help there with with our platform be for real but the next spot i see blockchain and crypto starting to step in and step up right is actually creating a vehicle when done right right when you intelligently use it to help people start to earn incomes faster because look what what do you earn in a high high interest savings account right now like i think it's less than two percent yeah it's like nothing it's bugger all so you got a high this is what's interesting right for those that are watching like i particularly like history i particularly like i like a lot of things like i like tech i like business i like politics and i like mixing all together and gym too yeah well i box so i'm I'm a boxer um so my nose is all right tonight i got punched in the nose last (laughs) night so you know what's what's really interesting right is that if you went back to like the 60s 70s 80s your savings account was reasonable enough to feel secure that you could work, earn some money, let it sit in your savings account, and you wouldn't have to worry about it devaluing faster than you could yeah. you could spend it, right? In fact, you'd also you'd be confident that you could leave it right in your savings account. It'll accrue a bit of interest, and you'd have a nest egg. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward 15, 20 years to the nineties. Fundamental change, right? When did this change? It changed in the seventies. So uh, something big happened in 1971 and that was the then american president richard nixon basically got up on stage in some whole you know sham speech right he tried to make it all about patriotism like on a bullshit but really the thing was the governments of the world were defaulting on their gold obligations so we had this thing called the gold standard and that gave us good money because the governments of the world and the bankers of the world, they were constrained. They were restricted to a degree. They always, they always found ways to, to uh, sham it, right, to, to fudge the numbers. But they were relatively restricted in regards to how much money they could print 
in relation to how much gold that they had. Yes. Right? What that did, it kept a relatively solid value for the money. So there wasn't too much devaluation of our currency. That's the reason why you could put your money into a savings account and let mm. that build as a nest egg. But in the 70s, Nixon got up and said, you know what? Because see, in 1943, the governments of the world basically decided that uh, this is directly after World War II. Sorry, guys, I'm back and back. So after World War II, for those that don't know, what happened was is that the, the governments of the world, the leaders, got together in America and they all decided that they're going to, to, to stop making gold the thing that backs the currencies of the world, yeah? They decided that they were going to make the United States dollar be the reserve currency of the world and the United States dollar would be backed by gold. Yeah. Yes. So yes. basically what happened then is that all the gold of the world eventually, not all of it, but a lot of it found its way to American shores, right? From 1940 up to 1970, there were lots of spending that was occurring, right? And, you know, some of these governments of the world started to think to themselves, geez, I wonder if America actually has the amount of golds in their, their coffers that they say they do because they're spending a lot of money on that Vietnam War. Like yeah. that's a lot of money that's going there. They, <laughs> they, they can't have that much money, right? So what started happening was is that these these governments, these people, they started to basically uh, request their gold out of the safes, right? And it started to deplete the reserves of gold. So Nixon got up, he said, that's it. We are no longer for our country, for the citizens of America. Yeah. We are getting rid of this pesky thing called gold. Nobody can have gold. Gold's gone. That's it. Now, you're, now your money is backed by our promise effectively right and that's where we transitioned into a fiat monetary system and that was a big problem i think that's historically going to go down as the worst mistake that we've ever allowed to happen because it allowed the governments and the bankers of the world to basically have an unlimited printing press right you've probably seen the memes right the, the money printer go whoop, whoop, whoop. Yep. like that's basically what happened and from 1970 up to 1990 you literally seen the devaluation of money increase so much that a high interest savings account was no longer good enough for you to feel comfortable about saving for your future. So the next thing that became like the thing, right, were people taking their money out of savings and purchasing things like treasury bonds, right, government bonds. For those that don't know, bonds are just, you know, they're debt instruments, right? You can basically buy the government's debt, you earn a certain interest rate as it matures, and boom, you make some money, right? But geez, in the space of 10 years, even that wasn't enough to beat inflation. Once mm. again, poor monetary and fiscal policies, banks irresponsible with money because they have no skin in the game, right? It's not their money if they lose it. And they know that all these banks are too connected and the government's going to bail it out, right? So who cares? They just, they're irresponsible with money. So by, in the 2000s, people stopped investing so much in treasury bonds and they then moved to stocks, right? And this was interesting. And there was this really sneaky change of language from the top down where, you know, the governments and the, the higher up started to basically prompt people, hey, 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 if you want to become wealthy, you know, build yourself a stock portfolio, yeah. right? It shifted. And then, you know, 2008 happened, boom, Bitcoin was, was created as a result of that. But look, long and short is that right now, it is very hard to, to earn enough money to, to save for a deposit with the cost of living, with the prices. Like, you know, right now, I was just reading something the other day. 
I think the interest rates are going up with the banks here in Australia, number one. Number two, I think they've also increased the minimum deposit that you're required to have. So I think at one point it was as low as 5%. You just needed 5% of a property. So if you had a, you know, a $700,000 property, you needed about 30 grand. Now you need 70 grand, 10%. Yes. And as they keep increasing these interest rates to combat inflation, what they're doing right now to combat inflation is they're doing what's called demand squashing. So inflation, to make it super simple, is a, a supply and demand problem, yeah? So if you want to stop people spending, which obviously then helps with supply, you basically want to make it less desirable to spend. So these are the things that governments do, right? They mm. increase interest rates when they want you to stop spending, and they decrease interest rates when they want you to start spending. Yeah, so never thought of that. This is the game that they yeah. play. That's the game that they play, right? So anyway, coming full circle, that was a bit of a detour. The point <laughs> that I'm getting at, right, is that crypto as a vehicle is, you know, if you find cool ways to enter the decentralized finance space, DeFi, like there are some cool platforms out there where you can get really good returns, right? Like, you know, 10%, 20% per annum. And if you do it right, it's relatively safe. But once again, anyone watching this, do research, do some learning, do a course. You can do like a six-hour course and learn a lot of really cool stuff about decentralized finance. But there are some people that are making some really good money and using that to help them buy their property, right? So, you know, they're doing their their nine to five job, their, their work. They're then investing in DeFi, right? Which gives them a good return. That's helping them save for a deposit faster so they can then go and buy a house. So that's yeah. the second immediate way I see blockchain and crypto, you know, helping people when it comes to real estate. Yeah. The next one, which now this is specifically talking about blockchain, is you then start to see, I think this will start to happen in the next three years, is where we start to see third parties being less involved. So, okay, right now, if, if I need to find out all the information on a property, typically I'm going to have to go and pay a solicitor or a lawyer, right, to go and basically get all the deeds and, and information. How cool would it be if all the data on a property was sitting on chain in its own little block, right? And I could access that. It's unchangeable. It's immutable, right? Nobody can tamper with it. But I can check that out myself. Mm. Boom. You've just removed a step in the process. I can do my own due diligence. I can yeah. basically access the data, process it myself. Don't have to pay that solicitor to do that for me, right? Probably only took him 15 minutes and I pay him a couple of hundred bucks. Boom. You start to see all these little places where blockchain streamlines things, reduces the cost to the buyer. And once again, this makes it so much faster. And the next one is international buyers. And this is already happening, right? For me to, 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 to purchase a property overseas, I need to take my AUD, convert that into the country's currency, right? Their domestic fiat, and then make the purchase. That takes time. That's got lots of fees. It can be a pain in the ass. How much easier though is it for me to take half a mil worth of Bitcoin send it straight to an escrow wallet, wherever it happens to need to go to, and then boom, that's the money part done. 100%. How good, how good would that be? <laughs> Dude, that, that's, that's a big use case for, for crypto, cross-border payments. India has got a high interest in Australian property, right? So much easier for them to just send some crypto to an escrow wallet, right? That gets converted to a stable coin. Stable coins don't fluctuate right there quite a quote, stable. Um, and then boom, they can just focus on finding a property. Yeah. So man, I, I love this stuff. I absolutely love it. 
I'm really fascinated, Todd, and this is playing devil's advocate a little bit. And you mentioned earlier kind of the Bitcoin and the libertarian style of thinking and then, you know, governments getting access and shutting down people's bank accounts. So you've probably seen what happened in Canada and the truckers, yeah. Yeah, the truckers and everything that happened there, which was, to me, is is as scary as it kind of gets when the government decides, okay, we're going to shut down your bank account because you're doing something that we don't like. Not necessarily illegal. So when do governments, do you foresee, potentially trying to get in the way of us spending Bitcoin freely, as you're talking about now, or, or cryptocurrency freely, no middlemen, purchasing properties, sending money across between one and another. Do you foresee them actually getting stuck in and actually stopping the process along the lines to get a chunk of that back to them? You know, it's funny. When, when, if you, I particularly like economics, right? And like in economics, typically, you know, there's there's a, a base principle which which says that you've got a producer and you've got a consumer, right? Then you've got government. Yeah. What the damn hell is government? They don't produce anything. They consume our money, right? Yeah. Honestly, government is legalized theft, in my opinion. I'm 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 yeah I'm. I'm probably in our group. I'm the most anti-government person, and that's. I'm, because, I'm a libertarian too, Todd. So that's true. <laughs> man, look, it's only because I, I believe that there is a place for government, right? But I also think, you know, there, there's a book written by Friedrich Hayek called "The Road to Serfdom." Great book. I think it was written in like the 40s. But anyway, you know, he talks about how countries and governments go from good intentions to totalitarianism, right? Yeah. Obviously, he's talking a lot about Russia and Germany and, and everything that was happening over in Europe in the, in the 30s, 20s, and 40s, with, with Russia all the way up into the, the 70s, right? Effectively, you know, he, he says that typically power attracts a certain personality type and there's something about government that just attracts people that even if they start out having good intentions, you know, along the way, it just it, people get warped. This is this is just my opinion of it, right? And this is why I am an advocate of less government and more freedom, it's more laissez-faire, free markets, right? Capitalism. Oh, is that dirty capitalism word? Um, it's not a dirty word on this I, show. Trust me. <laughs> uh, I think it's great, man. I think it's great. You know, a free market's a great market because competition produces the best. Of everything, right? Competition creates better products. Competition drives down prices naturally. When you think about like those, this, the, the critics of capitalism, uh, capitalism is the most democratic system in existence. People don't get this. What I mean is that democracy is about you having a right to vote, right? In a capitalist system, you vote with your money. With your, yeah. your every time you buy something, you are voting. You don't like a company, stop buying stuff from them. Yeah. You're casting your freaking votes. Yeah. Like, you know, you've got these university students and people getting pushed through unis, right? Getting indoctrinated to hate the free market, hate capitalism, and see it as the uh, systemic root of all inequity in the world. But that's not true. They should be getting taught hey, 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 if I don't like something, I should use my vote better, right? Yeah. It's the most democratic system that you've. God, it's the fairest and it's the only thing that's scalable, right? So uh, anyway, I'll, I'll rant on that. Pretty no, much. no, don't worry. We're on the same. I'm, I'm certainly with me. I'm on the same page as you, trust me. Yeah, Dee's yeah. getting very excited here. <laughs> so I can tell. I would love so to the, the original question, 
Sorry, the original yeah, no, go, go, go. answer what you said. Yeah, so from, from memory, you said governments interfering and trying to put blocks and stuff in place. Um, look, I don't know. I mean, it, it's really hard to, to tell what they're going to do because, you know, there's, there's some politicians that push. Look, what I do believe, once again, this is like the balancing act that, that I've got. You've got the fully, you know, capitalistic free market, libertarian side of me. But then I've also got the other side that cares about consumer rights and consumer protection. So, like, I think regulation is important because take a look at the crypto market over the last, you know, from 2017 through to now, right? Like, it's been like the wild, wild west. There's been millions and millions. It's actually in the billions, to be honest. There's huge amounts of money that has been lost due to scams, dodgy people, you know, just... And because there's no regulation or anything like that, you know, they've got away with it. So I think that what we need to have are educated, proactive government politicians, right, policymakers that make policies that protect individuals. But at the same time, and this is a balancing act that is way too complicated, they can deal with this problem, not me. They need to balance consume protection with not stifling innovation. Because if they're too heavy-handed with their regulation, that potentially could stop innovation. And nobody wants to stop innovation, right? Innovation is like the buzzword of the corporate world. So we need to have a balancing act where people are protected from these charlatans because there's some some real nut jobs out there, right, that sing a good song, they speak the right words, and they take people's money. That that needs to be, I guess, isolated and, and cut off. It's cancerous to the rest of the industry. But then we need to not stifle innovation. So my, my, my thoughts are that... I think that there are there are pressure, there's pressure from special interest groups that have got a special interest in preserving the existing financial system. And I think they're always going to be lobbying and putting pressure on the government to put blocks up in place to stop things like Bitcoin and, and all that good stuff, yeah. right? The beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is government resistance. Nobody can stop it, right? All we need is this like one computer with the, the Bitcoin software on it, right? For the, for the network to be working. So like good luck stopping Bitcoin because you'd have to basically cut off all the power, all the internet all around the world to be able to do that. So good luck. But what they can do is they can, you know, just make it harder and harder for people to spend it. But once again, I I, I don't know, I think we're past that point, right? Like I read an article recently that said like Bitcoin's died you know, over over like a hundred times or some bullshit, right? Like there's, you know, it was like a collection of all the times that the newspaper said, Bitcoin's died, Bitcoin's done, Bitcoin's over. It was like so many times, it's ridiculous. Bitcoin is like the ultimate Jesus, right? It just keeps on rising. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's my thoughts. Look, there, there, there'll be those that are against it, those that don't want it to go ahead, Typically, those that have got like money coming in from from special interest or they have conflicted interests, right? They don't care about people; they just care about themselves. Yeah. But then, of course, you've got the good politicians that you know they're a dime a dozen. You know, they will push forward for good regulation that protect consumers whilst not stopping innovation. Can you stress to the listeners and our listenership is like we explained to your affairs that that bracket of people between the ages of eighteen and possibly you know twenty nine to thirty even. 
if we're not educating ourselves on on all of this right now, what is going to happen? You know, can, can you just stress to our listeners that, hey, it's we need to take this seriously? Yeah, look, I think, and this is uh, like a, a big thing for me, right? Education is paramount, right? Like a lot of, I've had an interesting life, right? I would not be what you would consider one of the smart kids in school. I actually, I hated learning. Um, and I actually went down the wrong path through my teen years, right? Like I, when I was 17, I actually found myself in, in prison for the first time. And then I found myself in prison again when I was, when I was 18, right? I had some, some anger issues. But what happened is that I, I learned something when I was in jail, right? I think there's a lot of, there's a couple of problems that we've got in the world right now. The first is that there's a lot of propaganda out there that is designed, whether intentionally or accidentally, I'm leaning towards intentionally, but there's a lot of propaganda out there that is effectively uh, sets the frame that other people have power over us, right? It's not me, it's them. They did it to me, they're to blame, I'm the victim and I should be compensated because I'm a victim, yeah? Now, that's super unhealthy. Anytime you allow somebody else to take your power from you, you are literally uh, are destroying your life, right? So when I was 18, I was like that. I was blaming everyone because I was in, when, I was, when I was 18, I was sitting in there and I was facing a potential 10 to 15 years for a crime that I did not do, right? So that, that was hard. That was crushing. I felt betrayed by people around me. Like it was, it was a hard time in my life. But what I, I learned there is what set the stage for me being here now talking to you like this, right? What I learned in prison is that it's, it's me, it's not them. Because yeah. up until that point there, I did a really good job of blaming everyone in my life for all my problems, right? You know, it was my, my, my parents for how they treated me growing up, right? It was the way that my stepdad was such an arsehole. It was the people that I was hanging around with. It was the drugs, the alcohol. Like it was always something else that wasn't me. And the biggest shift that I had when I was 18 is I'm like, holy shit, it's me. I was the arsehole. And that was huge. Just owning that, like me owning that, hey, I made the decision every single time. I decided to drink. I decided to do the drugs. I decided to fight, right? Like it was always me. And when I owned that, it was, it, was, it was the most liberating thing because I stopped blaming the world and I started to take responsibility for my own actions. Massive change. The other thing that happened when I was 18 is that I became obsessed with learning. See, I thought I was going to be in jail for a long time. So I thought, geez, I better start to learn some stuff because I, was, I wasn't dumb, but you know, I didn't read. I, I, I didn't think I was a good learner. Man, I started going down to the, the, the jail library and I was just like learning new shit. I enrolled in some random like, you know, math courses so I could actually, you know, learn to, to, to have some numerical literacy. And yeah, man, it, it was this start for me, right? Then I got out of prison. It just, I got out when I, it was, what's interesting, right? I got out of prison after I accepted my role in me being there. It was, it, you know, it's kind of spiritual, but I feel like life was keeping me stuck there until I took responsibility for the, my actions that led me there. Because literally, when I when I owned it, when I said, you know what, shit, Todd, this is you, I shit you not, three days after that, I got a letter from the court saying that my charges had been dropped. A week after that, I was released. Wow. I, I'm not even joking, man. It was, it was, in hindsight, I look back and go, wow, that was pretty weird. But when I got out, I had the next problem, right? And that next problem was that I had no skills. My dad drives trucks, right? I used to literally work on the truck with him. We're not... I guess, a, a techie or necessarily an educated family that I come from. 
you know, we do manual labor and that's what I, I was used to. So I'm, I'm literally out of prison. I'm on parole. I can't go anywhere near Brisbane City. Um, I literally <laughs> have to stand in the cricket sticks. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do now? I, I had no idea. And I think this is another problem, right, that we've got right now is a lack of purpose. So number one is we, we, we're quick to blame other people for our problems, which completely disempowers us. When every time we, it's like life gives us lessons, right? And every time that we go, that's not me, it's them. We're basically rejecting the lesson. We're rejecting the growth. Yeah. And that's that's a big problem, right? People give other people power over them by not taking the ownership, extreme ownership, right? The next thing is that people lack purpose. And when you lack purpose, you just do whatever, right? So for me, I used to just drink and, and party because I had no sense of direction. I had no sense of purpose. So like that was the next thing I had to start doing. I, I I became obsessed with learning. That's the first thing. So this is the question that started this little rant was, you know, education, education. I think education is the most freaking important thing. And I think there's some specific things that you need to learn. The first thing that changed the game for me was learning how to freaking learn. That was the first thing. Yeah. Like we're not taught how to learn properly growing up, right? This school system that we got is broken. It's fragmented, right? It teaches you to remember, not how to learn. And I think, you know, learning how to learn is an important thing. Everyone learns different. Some people learn by seeing, some people learn by doing, some people learn by hearing, some people learn by sitting down memorizing, even though I think that's a lower uh, amount of people. But you have to figure out, well, how do I learn? How do I, I actually internalize this stuff? But the next thing is you have to learn some proper skills because let's look at what's going to change in the future, right? You've got AI and robotics that are still pushing forward, Yeah. And they will replace a lot of jobs. It's, it's inevitable. You know, mm. one thing that I find very interesting, right, this is more of a philosophical thinking point, is with all the innovation and automation that we've got in 2022, because of capitalism, you would expect us to have easier lives, <laughs> to not have to work as much, and to have a better quality of living. Mm. Right, like that is what we should be having now, but we don't. And people blame capitalism, but they got their wires crossed. It's not capitalism's fault. Capitalism makes people's lives better and does it freaking faster. Our broken monetary system is the reason why things keep getting harder and harder. That's my opinion. That's why Bitcoin is the savior, <laughs> our Almighty Lord. Yeah, Lord have mercy. Yeah. <laughs> What are, what are places that are always going to be a human needed, right? Soft skills. So, you know, soft skills like being able to communicate, talking are always going to be needed. So what I think if you're to kind of like categorize what kind of things should you learn, I think number one, you need to learn how to master your emotions and your own mindset. That is, that's number one. If you can't control this and you can't control this, game over, right? Being a hothead or not being able to think clearly, right? And there's a difference between thought and thinking. People, people have a lot of thoughts. Thoughts mean that it's, it's done, it's, it's stuck, it's, it's ended. A thought has an, is an ended process. People need to do more thinking. Thinking is yeah. a process. And most people don't think. They hear something, it resonates potentially with some sort of you know, internal bias that they've already got. And they go, yeah, that makes sense, cool. And they accept it without thinking. So people need to learn how to think to control their mindset, which means controlling their thoughts, 
Because if you can't control your thoughts, you can't control your emotions. If you can't control your emotions, you'll never be productive. If you can't be productive, you're never going to build the life that you want. This is particularly relevant for, for men, especially in today's day and age, right? Like I definitely sense that there's been a, uh, a sideline attack on masculinity ever since that bloody Gillette ad came out, right? That ridiculous ad. <laughs> um, but that's the first thing. Second thing, you need to then get some skills that empower you, right? So what I think is the most important skill is communication. So how can I communicate better? How can I use my words better? So when I was 20, I went and did door-to-door sales. I mean, I'm naturally introverted. People don't get this. I'm naturally an introverted person. So when I want to recharge my batteries and refresh myself, I'm like, don't talk to me. I'm I'm naturally introverted. But I went out and I started doing door-to-door sales and it was the best freaking thing. It was trial by fire because I had to learn how to communicate. And this, this is super important because the quality of your communication determines the quality of the life that you're going to live. If you can't communicate properly in a relationship, your relationship's not going to be good. If you can't communicate properly in a, at work, then you're always going to be stuck at the bottom, right? It's the difference between getting paid well and getting paid poorly. It's the difference between being able to you know, get an increase in your wage and just staying stuck at the bottom. Yeah. So I think learning communication skills, super duper important. One of the most important skills, thinking clearly. Then also like leadership skills, put yourself into positions where you can be a bit of a leader. Like these are all things I think are super important. And like, if I look at where I am right now and I compare that back to when I was 18, like the number one thing that got me here was learning how to think and learning how to communicate. They're the the two things that got me here. And sorry, the third thing, becoming obsessed with growth and learning because that's like, you know, how I got involved in tech. It's how I got involved with crypto. And I'm the kind of person that I now, I never used to be like this when I was younger, but now when I I find something I like, I get obsessed about it, right? And like I just learn and I learn and I learn. And I used to do like workshops for young kids that were uh, delinquents, I guess you could say, right? On their way to like juvie and stuff like that. And, you know, we we do talks about how do you find what your purpose is. You know, and a lot of people put a lot of too much pressure on themselves to find their purpose. And they go, well, what is my purpose? Well, you can't possibly know what your purpose is right now. Like the only way you can find out, you know, what your purpose is or what you're going to do and enjoy is by doing lots of different things. And what typically happens, right, and this is how you get good at something, is the way you become an expert at something is, number one, you find something you're interested in. Number two, you just start bloody doing it. What then starts to happen is if you like it, you'll start to obsess over it. As you obsess and you keep doing it again and again and again, that's when you become good. Yeah. But because people have got a short time horizon, they they want to have all the fruits of tomorrow today. Yeah. And they 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 get impatient. And you know, this is also the result of our poor monetary system. You know, this monetary system we've got today makes people want to spend money now. In fact, it's so good at making you have a short time horizon that it makes you want to spend money that you don't even have now. And that's the reason why you've got credit cards, debts, and people using lending to buy shit that they don't really need. Anyway, that was a long rant. (laughs) No, well, I think I'm really happy Doss asked that question because I think you've covered some really important points, especially to 
for the people that listen to this show that regularly listen, people we speak to, because you've just made a lot of good points today about, you know, working hard to find purpose. But I think the education thing is so important too. So I'm really glad you touched on that. As we come towards the end of this podcast, it's a little bit similar to Doss's question, but I know you and I talked about fractionalized ownership of property in the future. So talking about things, you know, you've spoken about AI and robotics and we should all learn to get our head around things that are coming so we can stay ahead. You mentioned how difficult it is for people to buy homes now and own them. you mentioned the stats earlier today, which is mind-blowing. So then if Doss and I and three of our mates want to make some money in the future, do you see us being able to purchase a house together, rent it out, and us all earning Australian dollars from purchasing it through Bitcoin? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's actually another, you know, it's kind of hard to sometimes remember all the different ways that, you know, blockchain will, will I guess, liberate people. One way that is kind of pretty amazing is what you're just saying, tokenization. Tokenization is effectively where you take an asset, uh, typically a real world asset, and you basically put it on chain, right? You, 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 to- you tokenize it, you create a tokenized representation of that asset. So let's say, for example, you've got a house and that house is worth a million dollars. Now, you could take that asset and you do all the legal stuff in the background, which is details that people don't really need to know right now, but all the legal shit gets done in the background to to, to make this possible. But you basically turn that $1 million property into or represented by 1 million tokens, Mm. right? Those tokens are non-fungible in that they are only applicable to that house. You can't use those tokens with other houses. It's only related to that one property, right? And if that property's price grows up, then also the token value goes up with the house, right? Yep. So that's the first little basic understanding of tokenization. And look, you can tokenize lots of things. You can tokenize debt. (laughs) You can tokenize equity in a company, right? So instead of going down a venture capital raising routes to raise money for your startup, what you could actually do, and this is where it's kind of cool, right, is you could basically take your company, right? You could tokenize the shares in your company, right? So the shares are represented by tokens on on a blockchain. And then you could raise the money for your startup idea, right? This is like crowdsource funding. You could literally crowdsource fund your startup by doing an STO or a security token offering, right? And you could have a a pool, a global pool of people that go, fuck yeah, man, I love that idea. Sneakers that do what? They do that? What? Yeah, man, that's sick. And you could literally have hundreds of people all over the world that buy tokens in your company and boom, they've just basically helped you raise the funds to start your company. Sidetracked, I just love it. It's just so cool. Back to property. Now you've got a million dollar property that's been tokenized. Here's where it gets cool. So you can, instead of buying the whole property, which would be challenging for most people, you can, for example, get you and, and 10 of your mates, right? Maybe you and 10 of your mates put together X amount to buy the entire property, right? You all put together like 100K, you pull it all together, you'll buy like 100K worth of tokens, boom. Yep. You've all got now a, uh, a certain percentage stake. What stake is that? My math brain is, is dead at the moment. 10%. Yeah, 10%, yeah, right? Uh, I thought it was that, but my brain's just not functioning <laughs> at the moment. So you've, you've got a 10% stake, right? You've got a million-dollar property. Let's say that property is earning you, for easy math, $1,000 a week. It's going to be probably much more for like 1500 yeah. two grand a week. Uh, let's say it's earning you 1000 bucks a week. 
right? 4,000 bucks a month. Let's say you've got $3,000 a month left after expenses. Boom. Then because you've all got a 10% stake, right? Boom. Each month you're all getting like, depending on what you agree to, you could all be getting 300 bucks per month coming to you. And if you automate it, right, where the funds get go through the smart contracts on chain, you could automatically have those funds sent to your wallet addresses and boom, each month you're making money from your fractionalized yeah. property portfolio. Crazy. Right? Dude, it is cool. That's that's talking about residential property. Now let's start talking about like, because this is stuff that we're doing with Be For Real. Like with Be For Real, we've got access to some of the biggest. See, we've got, because we've been doing it for the last 30 years. We've got access to some of the biggest and most prestigious developers in Australia. So we've got really amazing developments, residential and commercial. Like imagine, there's a property developer, and this is one of the things that we're doing with our development partners, is giving them an alternative way to get the finance to build the development to begin with. Mm. Instead of going through a bank, which can be a pain in the ass, hey, let's crowdsource your entire $100 million development globally. Yeah. Mm. Yeah? And it costs them $100 million to, 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 to build the whole thing. You know, then they sell whatever they sell, make a profit, and now you've got like thousands of people all over the world that get a dividend split from the proceeds from the sales. Like, dude, that's so cool. Is, uh, it is wicked. And the cool thing with tokenized assets is like you can get in. And look, and every property uh, will be different. So what we're going to do to make it easy for people is we'll be creating wealth portfolios. We've got like wealth advisors and financial planners and stuff like that that are in our strategic network. And um, they'll be working closely with our developers to create little wealth portfolios that have different entry points for the different kind of investor. That way, like, you know, we'll have certain things set up where you can literally, like maybe you've got a hundred bucks spare each week, right? We'll have it set up so you can buy a hundred bucks worth of a portfolio wow. you know, every week, man. Over, mm. over, over, that, that's so cool. 52 weeks in a year. You have $5,200 now stored, not in a bank, but in a fractionalized property portfolio that is generating you a return. Like, man, it, it is crazy. This is, this it, is it, like, to me, this is the opportunity of, like you said, millennials to actually get an opportunity to get ahead in the property market where right now it just looks so bleak and impossible. Yep, yeah, dude, this, this, is, this is red hot. And the, the thing I like, look, there's risk in everything, right? Anyone mm. that tells you that there's no risk is lying. But, you know, the one thing I like about, you know, fractionalized property portfolios and, you know, <laughs> putting a spare money into a fractionalized portfolio is that unless like there was the most outrageously dramatic change of circumstances globally, real estate is traditionally the most stable asset yes. class in existence, mm. right? So if you, for example, put aside $100 a week, you know, 5200 bucks in, in a year, right? You've got that. So one, you'll be able to generate a return from that, depending on what the structure is that you invested into. But two, if you ever had to liquidate your position, Boom, you could sell it. And here's the cool thing. Yeah. You may have put 5,200 bucks in over 12 months, but you know that could have grown to $7,000 worth of value yeah. because the property itself has grown in value. Yeah, right? yeah. So imagine that you're using fractionalized portfolios, DeFi, DeFi, decentralized finance, right? Which is where you can basically generate yields from different lending protocols. So imagine, right, you're working, you're doing your normal savings. Instead of putting your savings into a savings account that does nothing but devalue, you take that, you put it into a DeFi protocol, which generates you a, a consistent yield. Maybe it's a 20% yeah. yield per annum, right? 
Then imagine that you also start investing into a fractionalized property portfolio. And boom, instead of your money just sitting there doing nothing, but for, for, for bugger all, right? For 50, mm. 100, 200 bucks a week, who knows what it might be, right? Each, each, each point might be different in regards to the entry requirements. But just imagine building that up. And then when the time comes to make a property purchase, boom, you liquidate your assets. You've got that cash, you're ready. And boom, you make your purchase, man. This is where I really get excited about blockchain, yeah. crypto, what we're doing with our, our B for Real platform, because we identified a big problem, and that's affordability. People can't freaking afford to do what they want to do. There's a massive yeah. inequality where, you know, if you've already got yourself financially in a good position, then yeah, you're, you're all right, right? And, you know, you've got people with money that are buying properties that are way overpriced, and that pushes the price up even freaking more, which makes it harder for the average person. So- mm-hmm. You know, this is where I really see blockchain and crypto helping the average person. And God, listeners, watchers, learn about this stuff because there, you know, there's not many times in history where you get to be around as a brand new asset class is being born. True. Right. Yeah. This is this is where we are with Bitcoin, right? My friend, who's the Maxi, he wrote a funny thing on his medium by my French, but he goes, "Fuck you if you don't want to buy Bitcoin. Complain about Bitcoin. Say that it's a scam." You know, he goes, I don't care if it takes five years. I don't care if it takes 10 years, 15 years. Jeez, I don't care if it takes 100 years for this to actually be in place. He goes, I'm here for the long game. I'm here for my kids, my grandkids, having Mm -hmm. an asset that protects them from government overreach. He goes, so you can complain and say Bitcoin went from 50,000 down to 20,000, whatever. I'll sit here laughing, you know, in whatever period of time that Mm, it is. I'm, I'm not paying you with a Bitcoin. I'm paying you for three months of your work with a hundred sats. Yeah. Yeah. No, crazy. Absolutely. Long crazy. Game. It is. And that's something that I know we're both very passionate about. And uh, I've just learned so much today, Todd. So would you be able to share with us and our listeners where the best place is to possibly get in touch with you or work with you or where are they all going to find you? Yeah, man. God, for those that are on LinkedIn, you can just find me, Tom Pierce on, on LinkedIn um you can find me on, on facebook too some people can some people can't i've been, I've been told that i've got a private account um, <laughs> um i'm on twitter i don't really use it very much LinkedIn's probably the best place to get me Beautiful. and um if you're interested in anything to do with like real estate and, and crypto and, and and what we're doing I, I can comfortably say that we are with our be for real platform are leading the way with our platform with our staking system with our fractionalized ownership we are leading the the charge and helping people actually afford to get into property. So definitely go to beforreal.digital and, and check that out. Well, we've uh, we made a uh, group investment, me and uh, D and a couple of our mates with a racehorse. And let me tell you, that was oh, a yeah. fail. So maybe this <laughs> maybe this is a great new opportunity for us. That, that certainly oh, wasn't our ticket to financial freedom. I can assure you that. But uh, a racehorse? Oh no. Oh, uh, we've uh, made a yeah, bit of fun. Yeah, mate. Thank you again. I think it's just been a great podcast because we don't talk about this stuff very often, and it's nice to hear a, a new perspective. But you know, people come to my mind. I obviously would never name them, but there's people that come to my mind that are so against this kind of stuff, or at least trying to understand this stuff. And I just hope that they put in the time to at least listen to gain an understanding to try and get that vision for what it could be, because it is so important. Like you said, we've got a small window of time to to take this opportunity so i hope people you know mm. really at least educate themselves so mate just want to thank you so much for your time your generosity and it's been a pleasure we only met a couple of weeks ago so it's, it's <laughs> nice to connect so quickly awesome man it's been a pleasure thank you for having me thanks mate thanks todd cheers guys 
Dee, wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh, mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And, of course, thank you to everyone who listened. Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And, of course, you have your chance to get a shout-out. Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, Dee? It's at D underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in the next episode.